So for those of you who are married or um, still have kids at home, um, you will, um, you'll, you'll recognize this. You might not think about it a lot like this, but you actually have some terms and conditions for how you run your household. Like you have some rules, you have a list of commands for how um, your, 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 your world, your life, your family, your community works, um, and it may be very obvious, like you've talked about these, like if you started the sentence, your kid could end the sentence because you've said it so often. Uh, maybe you have, um, I've seen some families that have a family covenant that they actually write it on paper and they post it on the wall. This is what we're family's all about. Maybe, um, kind of like my family of origin, they're unspoken, but you know that you know that you know there are some things you don't do. And there are some things that we do do in our family. But regardless of what it looks like in your family, we all have a list of rules. We all have different commandments that guide our family life. Uh, when I was growing up, um, one of the unspoken commandments of my family was, thou shalt not wake father up from his nap. <laughs> right? Like, we never talked about it, never had a chance to ask questions, like, never figured out what the theological foundations of it were. We just knew, don't wake dad up from his nap. Even if the house is on fire, let the smell of smoke wake him up. Just don't wake dad up from his nap. Right? And, and again, we all have these rules, we all have these things that, that guide family life, that guide community. And today, um, in our journey towards Easter, Jesus is going to establish the one commandment for his movement, for his gathering, for his church. Now, we said last week that um, Jesus came to introduce something brand new, this brand new covenant, this um, relationship between God and mankind. There were terms and conditions for that new thing that he was starting, but the terms and conditions for this brand new thing that he was starting was nothing like the terms and the conditions for the old covenant. And, and you actually see Jesus hint at some of these things early on in his public ministry that kind of, they're, they're kind of breadcrumbs. They're hints. They're, hey, pay attention to this, and then in a, little, in a little bit, we're going to look at the moment where he kind of unveiled it. Um, but he would say things like this. You've heard it said, but I say. And this Jewish audience would look at him and go, yeah, our parents have said that our entire lives. Our grandparents said that. In fact, I think it actually comes from Moses. Jesus, what are you saying? We're supposed to ignore that and listen to what you say? And Jesus would kind of smile and say, are you taking notes? I got something brand new for you. Um, he claimed to be greater than the temple. And if Jesus was greater than the temple, then we obviously don't need the temple. But if we're not going to have a temple, what are we going to have? And, and again, to his Jewish audience, that was mind-blowing. We're not going to have the temple? What are we talking about, Jesus? Um, he taught that great people go to the back of the line. That was, that was taking the social and religious norms of his day and just turning it upside down. Just completely upside down. The first shall be last, and the greatest among you shall be your servant. And then, in, in, a, in a religious system, and a cultural system that was so focused on cleanliness, especially, especially like physical cleanliness, Jesus insisted that the, holiest, the people who have the holiest hearts often have the dirtiest hands. 
And he touched people who were unclean. He touched the outcasts. He touched the misfits. He healed. He restored. He gave them dignity in a culture, both, both social and religious, where people didn't touch things that were unclean, certainly didn't touch people who were unclean. And all of those things were an indication that something brand new was coming. But that, that upside-down kingdom ethic was in direct contrast to the kingdoms of this world. So conflict was inevitable, and that's where we left off last week. Um, before the betrayal, before the arrest, before the trial and crucifixion, there are two things that um, Jesus wanted to establish. We looked at the first one last week, this, this new covenant, this new relationship between God and mankind. It was a new relational agreement. Um, but just like ancient contracts and just like contracts today with fine print, um, we have terms and conditions for our contracts today. We have even terms and conditions when it comes to the marriage covenant. I will love, honor, and cherish you till death do us part. That's a condition. That's a term. I'm going to do this for you, and you're going to do this for me. And in this new covenant, there was a new term and there was a new condition. All this brand new stuff that Jesus was starting had terms and conditions. And he, again, he hinted at this. He, led, he left breadcrumbs for us to see that, that what, this is where he was going all along. So I want to go a few months before Passover um, and just look at a couple things. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 22 if you want to find that. We're going to kind of jump around a little bit from John and Ephesians and um, Colossians a little bit later, but we'll start in Matthew 22 um, uh, to, to get us started. So um, a few months before Passover, here's what Matthew tells us. Matthew 22 verse 15. So then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words, but they didn't have the guts to do it themselves. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. And here's what they wanted their disciples to ask him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Now, if it feels like they're laying it on pretty thick, that's because they are, right? Trying to butter him up, trying to, to get him to lean in, trying to get him vulnerable. But Jesus sees right through it. But, but when they think that they've got him, when they think that Jesus is leaning in, they ask him an IRS question. They ask him about taxes. Read it for yourself. They ask him about taxes, and Jesus does this coin trick. You should really read that part. And, and the coin trick just throws them off so much, they scurry back to their handlers. And so that religious leader couldn't trap Jesus, so the next group of religious leaders gives it a shot. They approach Jesus with another question about Moses. Now, the religious leaders are always trying to get the crowds to, to see that Jesus was in contradiction to Moses. Because if they could get the crowds to see that Jesus is contradicting Moses, then they'll see Jesus as a false teacher. So they ask, they ask a question about Moses. Verse 24, teacher, they said, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, I need to sit down for this one. If you're ever tempted to embrace and live by the Old Testament, this rule in and of itself should be a reason not to. 
okay? Like the implications of just this one rule. And, and, and it says, if you take on one rule, you got to take on all of them. If you go by one commandment, you got to go by all of them, okay? It was a good rule in ancient times because women were so vulnerable and it protected women. I'm not sure this one is even legal today outside of Utah, okay? Just, I'm just saying, okay? So Jesus, Jesus knows all of this. He sees right through them, but they, they, they turn their question into this made-up riddle, okay? They go on. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. And they go on to say the second brother died, so, he married, so she married the third brother. And the third brother died, so she married the fourth brother. Fourth brother died, so she married the fifth brother. And on and on and on this went, each successive brother becoming more and more nervous. <laughs> right? Like, uh, I don't think I like this rule, okay? Eventually, they all die, including Black Widow, right? Now, every riddle has a question at the end. Every riddle has a question. So here's their question. Jesus, when she got to heaven, who's, who's she married to? Who's her husband? And it's like a tennis match, right? All the crowd goes from the religious leaders to Jesus, like, whoa, that's a really good question. I've never thought about that question. Jesus, what's the answer to that question? Now, the point of their question is to show how ridiculous it is to believe in the afterlife. Okay? This question came from the Sadducees who didn't believe in the afterlife, which is why they were sad, you see. Yes, good. <laughs> You've heard that before, okay? The Sadducees, they, they believe that you live for the pleasure of God, and once you died, you died. Because life isn't about your pleasure. It's about the pleasure for God. You live for the pleasure of God. So they ask him this question. Jesus responds with the thing that got underneath their skin so much. He responded with, have you not read? I love it. He always puts it back on the religious leaders. Like, you guys are the professional readers. You're the professional lawyers. You're the professional religious people. Have you not read your own scripture? Have you not read? And he skips over Moses. He goes to Abraham. He makes an incredible point based on the tense of a verb and sends them running back to their handlers. And the crowd goes wild, right? Because they, they love it when Jesus puts the hypocritical religious leaders in their place because they were always putting things on the people that they themselves weren't willing to do. And Matthew tells us, when the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. So it's just like they're just going from one thing to the next to the next, right? The Pharisees get together. They got a question now. They're sure it's the one that's going to trip him up. They choose one of their best guys. He's a lawyer. They send him in there. Okay, wait for the Q&A. Raise your hand and then ask him this question. Okay? Now, most of you know this question. Most of you heard this question, especially if you grew up in church. But this was an extraordinary moment. This was an extraordinary moment in Jesus' public ministry. But it was also a, an extraordinary moment in the span of human history. This was a moment when all the angels leaned over the banister of heaven to listen to what Jesus would say. This is an extraordinary moment, and he uses it to make a point about what was to come. Here's what happened. 
one of them, an expert in the law, a lawyer, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Talking about the law of Moses. And everybody in Jesus's audience knew the answer to the question because there was a standard Sunday school answer. But Jesus, again, he took it as an opportunity to point to this brand new thing that he would eventually teach his disciples in just a few months, okay? So the crowd that is there that day is mouthing along to what Jesus is saying, just like some of you can mouth along to what I'm getting ready to read. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Everybody's going out there going, yep, yep, we know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the guy who asked the question, the lawyer from the Pharisees, is about to pounce and throw in his zinger of a second question, but Jesus doesn't give an opportunity to. Jesus just says, and... No, 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 Jesus. No, there is no and... You can't add to this. That's the an- What you just said is the answer. Jesus just keeps going. And the second is like it or equal to it. It's second in sequence, not second in greatness. The second law is just as great as the first law. They go together. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is why. This is why the angels leaned over the banister of heaven, because this is the first time in recorded history where somebody took a verse from Deuteronomy and the verse from Leviticus and put them together. Nobody had ever done this before. And it was a really big clue to a really important shift that Jesus was making because he was signaling. When When it came to religion, It's not just about your vertical orientation to God. It's also just as importantly about your horizontal orientation to others. And in the religious world Jesus lived, maybe in our religious world that we live, a person could love God and treat other people horribly. A a, a person could claim to be good with God and mistreat other people. And when they were confronted with that, they would go, oh, no, God God and I are good. I've confessed my sin. I I showed up to temple on Saturday. I even gave. And, And I serve when I'm not busy on the weekends. And I'm even a part of a small group every now and then. But have you listened to how you talk to your wife? Hey, When was the last time you thanked your parents? Do you listen to how you talk to your kids? Can I I pull up your Twitter feed and read some of the things you've said in the last couple months? Oh, yeah, but no. See, I know, but me and God, I feel good about that. This was the religion of the first century. It's actually been the religion of pretty much every century ever since. And Jesus that day said, that changes right now. There's a new law in town. There's a new commandment in town. He didn't stop there. He finished with this. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, to that Jewish audience... The law and the prophets, in the first century, that equaled their Bible. 
right? That's their Bible. He's talking about the Hebrew Scripture, which we know of as the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. There's no formal canon yet, but that was their sacred Scripture. And Jesus is saying our entire body of sacred literature hangs on these two commands. So if Jesus had a really cool screen, like we have a really cool screen, he might put up something like this, okay? The two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, everything hangs on that. So if you get to, you know, like Leviticus 19, and they, you start reading some really weird stuff in there, just go back to love God, love your neighbor. If you get to Daniel and around 1950, people start saying some really weird things about Daniel and the end times. Hey, just go back to love God, love your neighbor. If you're ever confused about what you read in the Old Testament, Jesus says, all of that hangs on these two things that I just said. Love God, love your neighbor. The rest is history, application, and commentary. Love God, love your neighbor. Here's how one pastor puts it. Love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by love for others. Jesus summarizes. Jesus summarized all the Jewish commands with two really big ideas that are equal in value. But that's not all. That's not all. Because for a first century Jewish person, a neighbor had a definition you could go to Leviticus 19.18, and a neighbor was another Jewish person. So Jesus takes it a step further a few weeks after this. He's in a similar situation where, where a religious leader tries to trap him with another question. And in response to that question, Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. And he changes the definition of neighbor for every generation that followed. At the end of the Good Samaritan, he, he, he answers the question, who is my neighbor? And from that point forward, the definition of neighbor was not simply another Jew, uh, someone like you or someone you like. From that point forward, the definition of a neighbor is anyone, anywhere who has a need you can meet. That's the definition of neighbor. And that's who Jesus says you are to love. We are to love. And in telling, <laughs> in telling the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is saying, love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by love for those who are nothing like you and who may not even like you. Who may not even vote like you. Who may not even view the world like you. But even then, this is just breadcrumbs. I mean, it was massive. It was a shift. But this is just breadcrumbs. These are just hints pointing in a specific direction. And Jesus used Passover for the official reveal. Okay, this is where we left off last week. We finished the meal. Um, he throws them for a loop by washing their feet. Remember that? Okay, and they're so off balance at this point. And suddenly, um, you know, Judas gets up to run an errand. They have no idea where he's going, but he goes to run an errand. Jesus, who has already taken the role of covenant maker, takes on the role of lawgiver. And again, this is one of the most important moments in the life of Jesus. It's heartbreaking to me that, that for centuries and centuries, it has been so underplayed. 
It's been so underplayed. Sometimes it's been ignored because, because what happens next ultimately changed the world. It just did, okay? So Jesus says to his guys, who had no idea the significance of these words, he says, a new command I give you. And just like last week, if they would have been paying attention, if they would have been thinking straight, they would have gone, okay, Jesus, wait. Um, you can't give new commands. Like only God gives commands. You know the story. Moses went up on the mountain. God gave him the commands, and then Moses delivered the commands to the people. Moses didn't come up with the commands. He didn't, he didn't give them. He delivered them. So if you're giving us a new command, like you're playing the role of God? And besides that, a couple months ago, you, you summarized 600 plus laws into two. So is this the third one? Like you're adding on to the two that you gave us a couple months ago? Is that what we're doing here? And in fact, in fact, Jesus had not come to add two, the two, but actually to reduce even two to one. A new command I give you, love one another, to which they could have said, Jesus, that's not new. And Jesus would have said, I'm not through. Love one another. There's a qualifier. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now think about this. <laughs> With those 12 guys there, well, 11 at this point, he could have gone around the room, and maybe he did and nobody had the guts to record it. But he could have gone around the room, person to person. Hey, Matthew, remember the first day we met? Yes, sir. You remember what you were doing? Yes, sir. Say it out loud, Matthew. I was collecting taxes for Rome. Hey, and Nathaniel, remember the first day we met? Remember what you said about my hometown? Yeah. Say it out loud, Nathaniel. I said nothing good could come from Nazareth. <laughs> That's right. And Peter, hey, Peter, remember the first day we met and you kind of hinted at the fact that I knew nothing about fishing, even though I created fish. <laughs> and guys, all of you, do you remember the day <laughs> that you were arguing about who was the greatest in my kingdom? You guys remember that? You remember how I treated you? Do you remember how I loved you, even when you were immature and selfish and full of ego and only thought about yourself? Remember how I treated you when all that happened? Yes, sir. Well, from this day forward, that's how I want you to treat each other and your neighbor. And this is just Passover, right? Like, like you know what he could have said? He could have said, you guys think you've seen love? You ain't seen nothing yet. Because two days from now, three days from now, four days from now, I'm going to blow your mind. And I'm going to take it to another level, but I just want you to remember this night because your responsibility is to love other people as I have loved you. By this, this one thing, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you love me because I'm leaving. Not if you love God. Not if you say you love God because nobody can really tell if you do or not if you love one another. 
His point. His point was that our love for him is demonstrated by how we love each other and the people around us. And and compared to the extraordinarily complex set of laws that they had grown up with and they had been taught, this was far less complicated and far more demanding. Jesus always raised the bar. Always raised the bar. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, And I'd rather this stay between us, so don't let this leave the room, okay? If you, I'm just kidding. If you give me a list of rules, okay? They could be your house rules. They could be your family rules. They could be religious rules. I can find a loophole, right? I don't think I'm the only one who can do this, by the way. I'm just admitting it first, okay? If you're a parent, you get this. Because you've heard things like this before. Well, you told me to go to bed, but you didn't tell me to shut the light off and go to sleep. (laughs) Right? You gave me $20, but you didn't say you wanted the change. (laughs) You didn't say, you didn't say, loophole, loophole, loophole. Kids are great at finding loopholes, aren't they? Because where there are rules, plural, there is space. There's cracks. There's room, but it's actually worse than that. And this is the part I really don't want to leave the room. Give me a Bible and I can find a loophole for pretty much anything you want to do. Especially if you let me use the first part. Like some of the things, some of the songs that we sing on the weekends were inspired by stuff that some really terrible people wrote. One of them was actually called A Man After God's Own Heart. And he was a murderer and adulterer. It's, it's, it's why people who do what I do get questions like this. Hey, Tim, what does the Bible say about fill in the blank? Because are you sure that's what that means? Like, what's the original Greek say there? Because I want to do A. And if God doesn't say something specifically about A, no, I don't think that's A. I think that's more like A plus B. But if if God doesn't say anything specifically about A, then I'm going to do A. And I understand those questions. I get them. But but usually what's behind the question is, this is what I want to do. And I don't want to do anything that God is absolutely against. So if he doesn't spell it out specifically, I'm good to go, right? New covenant love. (laughs) The new covenant command closes all the loopholes. You can't slide between them because there's no them. This is the brilliance of Jesus. He, he gives us one. And, and we're not always sure what the Bible says about, you know, fill in the blank. And we can always find an expert. We can always find a religious scholar who tells us what we want to hear about that one verse. We can always find somebody who will tell us what we want to hear. We're not always sure what that looks like. But we almost always know what Jesus-like love looks like. There is very little wiggle room between love God with everything inside of you and love your neighbor as yourself. And every New Testament imperative, every New Testament command, especially those that follow the resurrection, is simply application of the new covenant command. In other words, the New Testament is not a bunch of new rules. The New Testament is full of one rule with dozens of applications. If, if, if we had a new chart, it would look like this. 
love, just as I have loved you. Everything else is history, explanation, application, and commentary. That's it. Like, that's the bullseye. It's the final blow to my ego. It's the final blow to my selfishness. That thing in me, that thing in you that wants to justify and what about and what about and what about and I find a loophole. It's hard to find a loophole to love just as I have loved you. We miss this. We miss this too often, but I'll tell you who saw it clear as day. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul saw this so so clearly and he applied the new command to everything. Here's just a few examples, okay? You've heard this first one before. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Okay, so should I forgive? Yes. Why? Well, because the Bible says so. Paul would say, what's a Bible? He didn't have a Bible. He was writing what came to be known as the Bible. So Paul, are we supposed to be kind and compassionate and forgive because you told us to? Paul says, no, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as, circle those two words in your Bible. Those are two of the most important words in the entire New Testament. You find it all over. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. So why should I forgive? Because the Bible says so? Because mama says so? Because the pastor says so? No, you should forgive because you're forgiven. Just as in Christ, just as in God, Christ forgave you. Why should I be patient? People aren't patient with me. Why should I be kind? Nobody's going to return the favor. Show me the verse that says I have to do that. Paul says, what's a verse? I, <laughs> he didn't have those yet. Paul would say to be, to, be, to be patient and to be kind because love is patient. And love is is kind. Those are your marching orders if you're a follower of Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not dishonor others. That phrase right there, it does not dishonor others, that's the core ingredient of the New Testament sexual ethic. You never do anything to dishonor another person, even if it's consensual, if you're a follower of Jesus. Well, show me the verse for that. I don't have a verse for that. But Jesus says, honor him. Honor her. Honor his wife. Honor her husband. Honor their future spouse. Honor their future kids. Love is the mandate. There's no wiggle room. There's no loophole. There just just isn't. He talks about relationships, okay? Yeah, let's talk about relationships, Paul. Here, this, that, that's practical. He says, in your relationships with one another. Okay, um, let's do an eight-week series on relationships. Let's talk about parenting and marriage and raising teenagers, how to work with people who suck the life out of you at work, all those things that we deal with on a daily basis, right? Like, Tim, if you do that, I could figure out how to have better relationships. Paul says, you don't need eight weeks. You need a three-by-five card and write this on it in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's it. If if you're wondering how to respond to your husband, you go, okay, 
I'm going to respond to my husband the way that God through Christ has responded to me. When I was angry, when I was insecure, when I was dishonest, when I wouldn't, shouldn't have gone there, shouldn't have looked, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, shouldn't have, what did God through Christ do for me? That's what I'm going to do for them. That's it. Here's another one. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Sounds like we need some mushy, romantic song playing in the background, right? Like walk in the... Sounds poetic. What do you mean walk in the way of love, Paul? He explains. Walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, so love is about giving up. And love is about sacrificing for the other person. That sounds... That sounds hard. That sounds difficult. That doesn't sound fun. Yeah, because there's no loophole. <laughs> you, you can't wiggle out of it. If you do to others as Christ has done for you, we, I mean, we could go on and on and on. Paul doesn't give Christians a bunch of things to do. Paul gives Christians a bunch of applications of Jesus' one new covenant command. And just to be as clear as I possibly can, here it is. The new covenant command, Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the term. That's the condition of the new covenant. This is the one overarching ethic for Jesus's new movement, the church. If you're a follower of Jesus, of which you're a part, you've heard of the Ark of the Covenant. This is the mark of the covenant. And think about this. His first century followers got this. Read history. They got this. Their willingness to love each other and to love people who didn't like them in a culture that glorified violence as the way to get what you wanted. In a culture, the idea of putting others first, it seems so weak. But the upside-down kingdom Jesus unleashed on the world would eventually become appealing and then contagious. In an appalling world, it became appealing and contagious. It circled the globe, and we're here today because of that first-century group of Christians that got this, and they lived it out against all odds. They survived, and they thrived, and they were fueled by this one single idea, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this one thing. Not the, not the three things, not the ten things. By this one thing, all people will know that you're my followers if you love one another. Wow. The church has got to rediscover this if we're going to make any impact in our culture. But what a night. What a night for those guys. They show up expecting to celebrate Passover the same way that it's been celebrated for the last 1,500 years. And by the time it was all said and done, one of them was missing. And Jesus had, had, had spun their heads so much that they didn't know what to do about it. They were so off balance. But... If they thought they'd seen and heard the craziest part of all this brand new stuff yet, the next few days would prove they hadn't seen nothing yet. 
And that's where we pick it up. Next week, Resurrection Sunday. Don't miss next week. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, this is, it's not new. <laughs> We've, so many of us have heard this so many times from so many different people in so many different contexts. We've read it ourselves. We've heard other preachers talk about it and preach about it. And God, when, when, when the emotion of this moment passes and we leave this room, my simple prayer is that you would remind us through your spirit that this is what you want for us. And this is what you want from us. That you want us to be the kind of people who love really, really well. And, and, and not the kind of love that lets people walk all over us and we never challenge and we never push back and we never show truth. That's, that's not the kind of love you asked us to show. But the kind of love that consistently over and over and over and over does what's in the best interest of people that we like and some that we don't. And God, we, we, we know, some of us, we're sitting here right now and there are people, there are names, there are faces that are coming to our mind that we know we haven't done a real good job of loving like you have loved us. And God, I pray that we would not sit in that guilt, but that we would use that Holy Spirit nudge to look in the mirror and to ask for you to renew our minds. That we would be the kind of people who are willing and able and available for you to change our hearts and then to change our behavior because of it. God, would you help us, even if nobody else does it, even if there's nobody else in our family, nobody else on our neighborhood, nobody else in our place of employment, nobody else we're related, if nobody else does it, if no other church does it, would you help us to be the kind of church that loves really, really, really well because of how you've loved us? that we serve because you've served us, that we forgive because you've forgiven us, that we give because you've given to us. In the end, it is about your kingdom. It's about the furthering of your movement in this world, the church. God, help us to see what our individual and corporate responsibility is in that. And in the end, we'll give you praise as we continue to grow in grace, as we continue to grow in the love that you bestowed on us. And I ask it all in Jesus' name.